few episodes ago, I talked about perception and how perception often becomes our reality if we're not careful to separate what we think we see from what we actually do see. And then after that, we discussed on a different talk, we discussed internal rules, these mental agreements we make with ourselves, often subconsciously, which help us sort and maintain some degree of personal safety or at least the perception of safety as we navigate life. In the same way elite athletes thrive from muscle memory, we often navigate life in both good ways and bad ways from what we call soul memory. Now in this talk, here's what I want to do. I want to push the idea a bit farther because soul memory is built in small everyday encounters. The overall impact of those encounters though, over time, it becomes exponential. So it's a small thing, but in time, it's huge. Now here's an example. In the book, Sway, Subtitle is The Irresistible Pull of Irrational Behavior. I'll put a link down in the show notes and, and just think about that title right there. Ori and Ron Brofman, they write about the effects of pre-existing beliefs and how they affect our ongoing belief patterns even when we're confronted with new information to the contrary of what we once thought. Now, you, you might just kind of think back. Dr. Perkis, he told me that some of our self-created internal rules, they're functional and some of those are dysfunctional. Now the Brofmans write about a visiting lecture, a guest lecture that came to teach at MIT. As an experiment, the teacher lectured 70 economic students at that prestigious university. Now, you gotta think, if anyone is not going to be irrationally swayed by something, it's going to be a bunch of economic students at MIT. I mean, high-level smarties, right? Well, wrong. All 70 students were given a bio on the visiting professor. The bio was a page long and it detailed the prof's accomplishments. The students were instructed to review it before listening to the talk. Here's the setup. Half of the students received a bio that said the guest teacher was, quote, a very warm person. The other half received a bio that said the prof was, quote, rather cold. That's it. No differences otherwise. The students all listened to the same lecture at the exact same time and were then asked to grade the professor. The results, well, they were revelatory. The half who received the warm person bio, they wrote how great the teacher was. He was funny. He made them laugh. He told great stories and made things applicable. He actually made economics exciting. The half who read the rather cold bio said the teacher was aloof. He was self-centered. He was rigid, inflexible, boring. Oh, and he was formal, stiff, lifeless. Now, did they not sit through the same lecture at the precise same time? Of course they did. What happened? Well, quite simply this. The students saw what they already believed to be true. How so? Well, their perceptions were all front-loaded. They were told what they were going to see, and as a result, reality or not, remember that idea, perception might be reality, it might not be? Well, as a result, these students saw exactly what they were told they would see. Now, many times we see what we've already decided we'll see too. In other words, seeing is believing, yes, but often, get this, the opposite is true, believing is seeing. You see how that works? If you're looking for reasons why you'll get a bad outcome, you'll likely read everything through that lens. If you believe you're going to succeed, that you're going to have a great outcome, you'll likewise look at everything through that lens. 
This is especially true when past trauma is involved. If you're looking for mortar fire or bullets or for people to shun, hurt, abuse, take advantage of you, fill in the blanks there, well, you'll likely see what you've already decided you're going to see. Internally, your mind will subconsciously kick into overdrive, scanning the universe for hints and clues to back up what you've already determined to be true. Then, that will become the grid whereby you view reality. And, of course, every now and then, reality will actually match your perception completely, thereby giving you your false impression enough credibility to continue. Now, I decided this theory was interesting, and I decided to try it out one summer while at the pool on vacation. Now, I often give my kids a, it's a challenge when we're swimming. Something like do 10 flips underwater or catch a pass behind your back while jumping into the pool. It's become this expected game we play every time we're at the pool. What's the challenge for the dollar, they ask. Now, I often reward all the winners with a dollar they can blow on video games when we go eat pizza. They can use it to load up on candy from the grocery store or do something else whimsical. No strings attached. Now, on this trip, I'd already asked them to swim sideways across the pool, there and back, underwater, holding their breath. No one had even, get this, no one had even tried it yet. They had all assumed it was impossible. They stood there in the pool, fretting about how it couldn't be done. Their mom leaned to me and said, this is a great time to give them a pep talk. So I ran an experiment about beliefs and perceptions and how they alter reality, particularly those big subconscious ones, the ones that tell you that you might die if you swim across the pool underwater holding your breath. Kids, I said, turn around and look around the pool. I want you to take five seconds while I count out loud. Count how many blue things you can find. And then I began counting backwards down from five. Four, three, two. Quickly they began counting up from one, each of them rushing to find blue. Some noticed the blue sky. Others noticed a blue tool shed. Someone insisted the water should count since it was a light shade of blue. Another spotted a toy that had some blue in it. And after those five seconds, I stopped them. And then I ask, how many green items did you see? We were counting blue, they told me, each of them. They posted their numbers to prove it. Some had six, most had three or four. It doesn't matter, I reminded them. Then I want to know how many green items you found. Well, none, one of them finally told me. None, I asked. You have the grass all around this pool and at least a few hundred trees. We didn't see any green, they said. We were looking for blue things. I explained the gig to them. I showed them how I'd set them up. You found blue, I said, because that's what you were looking for. Even if there's infinitely more green here to be found. In the same way, you assumed you couldn't make it across the pool, so you looked for reasons to prove you couldn't do it. You saw what you were looking for. See, the power of the mind is that you see exactly, precisely, definitively what you're looking for. I reminded them of what they told me about the swim. It's too far. We're not strong enough. We're too tired because we stayed up late last night and have been playing all day. We're too little and the pool's too big. Sometimes we believe something because we see it. Most of the time, though, we see because we already believe what we're looking for. And those are two different things. Now, notice what Proverbs 23, 7 says about this. As a man thinks, so is he. And it turns out, the kids all made it across the pool after our short coaching session. It makes me think this, why is a picture worth a thousand words? 
Well, because if you see it, even in your mind, with your thoughts, you can tap into it and then do it. And so here's the question. What have you seen before that you need to see again and maybe see in a different way? And maybe it's time for a rewrite with some of the parts of life. You see, we actually have this ability. It's to stand outside of ourselves to observe and edit the narrative that we're living, to edit the story that we, that we script and tell ourselves. That, that means this, your mind can observe what your brain is doing, what it's thinking, how it's responding. And now, now I know that sounds odd, but if you've ever thought through a few if-then scenarios, then you know exactly how this works. Now, Dr. Caroline Leaf calls this multiple perceptive advantage. That's the term, multiple perceptive advantage. It's a way of viewing our lives that allows us to stand outside of ourselves and view reality from multiple angles. Multiple perceptive advantage. I'm just going to call it MPA. Multiple perceptive, see it's a tongue twister. Multiple perceptive advantage, MPA. It makes mind renewal possible. Every human has it, you just need to develop the skill set to leverage this MPA. That means this, since you can see how you're responding and reacting in the moment, since you can see how you're grading the professor, how you're counting blue versus green, how you're viewing the swim across the pool, how you're scripting any story in your head about anything you're facing, since you can see how you're responding and reacting in the moment, you can actually change that response. You can edit the story in the moment. And that means this too. If you can string together a whole bunch of these moments intentionally, you can change the entire story arc of your life. And it can't change the past, but we can do what we do from here forward with intentionality. And that is, we can change the script we read to ourselves. We can change the narrative. You don't like how things are going? We'll rewrite your story. You don't like playing the tragic hero? We'll do a recast. Rather give your hero, yourself, certain talents, gifts, relationships, places to go and things to see? Well, maybe it's time for a rebrand. Once you understand the power of the mind and how it literally creates destiny, some of the most popular Bible verses make even more sense. Things like, take your thoughts captive, that's in 2 Corinthians 10.5, or be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that's in Romans 12.1 and 2, or be anxious for nothing, Philippians 4.6, or think on things that are pure, lovely, good, Philippians 4.8. When we really believe that we can do these things, that we can take thoughts captive, that we can transform ourselves by proactively recreating what's in our minds, that we can choose peace over anxiety and stress, that we can select the object of our thoughts, we begin to see just how powerful we are. Now, it's easy to look at ourselves and look at where we find ourselves right now in life, this moment, this spot, and grow disheartened. We look at our progress or lack of it and we feel like we should be or might should be farther along towards our dreams and goals and that we would be if we were in a better place. Now, a few weeks ago, I was pulling a few clips from a documentary produced by a nonprofit where I've been doing some writing and some teaching. I came across a segment I clipped from the documentary, Honoring the Code, to post on social media. Now, I'll tell you about that film later. It's a documentary you can download. I'll talk about it when I talk in a few weeks about the concept of moral injury. 
Um, anyway, Mary Neal Veaton, she's a Navy Corps commander and a PhD clinical psychologist who served numerous soldiers returning from Iraq and Afghanistan. She reminds them that, and this, this is almost a direct quote, this is just in my words, but this is what she says in that film clip. You didn't leave train for combat as an elite soldier at the top of your game and then come back certifiably insane or crazy. The things you endured are hard. They mark you. It's normal to be affected by them. Or, to say it another way, this is my words, you're not foolish because you have these internal rules that have created the story that you've lived. Many of those internal rules are natural responses to real issues you faced. And, in many senses, they're the things that got you through to the place where you are now. They helped you survive. But now you're in a different place, and as a result, it's time to scrub the rules that no longer serve you so that you might live a better version of your story. Now, a few minutes ago, I referenced Dr. Caroline Leaf's book, It's Switch on Your Brain, and that's where she writes about multiple perceptive advantage, MPA. In that book, she reminds us that some of the clutter that we've got to clean up, it isn't the result of random things that we've experienced. A lot of it is a result of choices that we've made ourselves. Even then though, we can step outside of ourselves. We can use that MPA to look around and make course corrections. In other words, this is a quote from her. It's important to make a distinction between who you truly are, the real multifaceted unique you and the person you've become through toxic choices. End quote. That's from Switch on Your Brain. Uh, page 45. I'll put a link to that book in the show notes as well. So let, let's own that one too. Okay, The reality is that, maybe just a couple bullet points here as I start to close out. Sometimes we suffer because of what others have done to us. We're the victim. Sometimes others suffer because of what we've done to them. We're the perpetrator, which leaves wounds on them and an entirely different set of wounds on us equally calling for a rewrite so that we don't hurt other people in the future. And, and this one's so important because on social media, a lot I see people talking about victim, victim, victim. I endured, I endured, I endured. This happened to me, this happened to me, this happened to me. And yes, that is completely true. And we never want to discount any of that. But the more I've looked at my story, the more I realized that, goodness, I've played perpetrator and victim. And the reality is that's the case for all of us. Sometimes we're the victim. Sometimes others suffer because they're the victim of things that we've done where we've hurt them and we need to rewrite both of those. And sometimes, third of all, we suffer just because of things we've done to ourselves. We can courageously own all of this because we're not defined by the past and we're not stuck in the beginning or the middle of our story wherever we find ourselves, regardless of how we got there. There are still pages to rewrite, still a script to be lived. And as one of my friends, David Robinson, quoted or said, I don't know where he got it, but I credit him because the first time I saw it, it was from him and it was so brilliant, is never judge someone by the chapter of the story you walked in on. And I would just add, including yourself, this is just where you are and there are still pages to rewrite, still a script to be lived. And the story we tell ourselves, it will be the reality on those future pages that we sell ourselves. So 
Let's sign off. Here's the prayer today. May the Lord bless you and may the Lord keep you. May the Lord make his grace and his favor and his face, his countenance shine upon you. May you, here's the prayer, be able to, as 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, take every thought captive. May you have the ability to, when something crosses your mind, to just use that multiple perceptive advantage and step out and look at it even objectively and just think about what's happening and take the things that Philippians 4.8 says that are pure, lovely, and good and separate those from the things that are not so that you can be transformed, as Romans 12 says, not by a bunch of things that you do, not by a bunch of tasks, but by renewing your mind. Grace, peace, and until next time we talk, shalom.